Father, we have such access to your word, and that is such a wonderful thing. And yet something that can happen is that we lose sight that it is your word. It's living, it's active, it's authoritative. So God, I ask that in this room, you would posture our hearts in such a way to hear from you. Your word, it can bring challenge to us. It can bring teaching to us. It can bring admonishment to us. And I pray today what it does is it brings freedom and comfort to us. And as we look at your word and as we gather as your people, or we gather in this room as people that don't yet know you and they're asking questions or however they ended up here. God, I can pray this without fail. What we all need most is to leave this time more impressed with King Jesus and what he's done. So would you make them loud in the sermon? Would you make them loud in our songs and in our conversations and during communion? Would you even make them loud throughout this week until we get to gather back again to be reminded of who he is and all that he's done? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll share a few stories that... um, some of you have heard, many of you have heard before, and maybe some of you haven't. Um, my wife and I, it was 2001, and we moved cross country to north of Boston, kind of the North Shore up in this area called Hamilton, pretty close to Gloucester. I used to call it Gloucester, but if you've seen the, the movie The Perfect Storm, it's kind of that area in the North Shore of Massachusetts. And we were going to, I was going to seminary. I was going to Gordon-Commonwealth Theological Seminary. It's this beautiful campus, 150 acres. It used to be an old Catholic monastery, and, and we pull onto campus, and and it was just, boy, that, for that first year, it was incredible. We started with like a uh, traditional New England clam bake. We show up and they had clams and the sausage and the corn and the potatoes and lobster. And I was like, this is like the coolest place ever. And, and we just loved it. And God lit me up in my faith and my walk with him. The Bible just became so real. It was so good for our marriage. I've joked about this before, but, but married student housing, the kind we were in, the walls were so thin that you couldn't yell at each other anymore. And so you had to yell by whispering. And it's, I'm mad at you, I'm mad at you. And you do that and just hard to stay angry. So it was really good for our marriage. And when we went, we'd been married a few years and we'd always really wanted kids. And, um, but we were going to wait five, six years, kind of get established a little bit. I was going to finish school, all that stuff. And then we just decided come 2002, we were like, we just want to have a baby. And so we said, let's try. So, so we tried. And I remember coming home from campus and I'm walking into our subterranean apartment. And Katie was like, I don't feel great. I think something's going on. I think I might be pregnant. And so I said, okay, let's go down to CVS. We go down to the pharmacy and we pick up one of them pregnancy tests and we come back and she goes into the bathroom and does her thing. And, uh, and then she's like, hey, Rob, come here. And I go in and on the edge, we had a, it was like a, it was a clamshell sink that I think might have been olive green. So we go in and on the edge of the clamshell sink is the, the pregnancy test with like these two bright pink lines. Amen, hallelujah, when that was a good thing, right? So that meant we were pregnant and we were so excited and, and it, was, it was just like this moment of going, this is incredible. I had a Hebrew exam the next day, but we were pregnant. I couldn't go study Hebrew. We need to go out and celebrate. So on a, a seminary scholarship uh, uh, income and Katie was teaching. I said, let's splurge. We went to Quiznos. <laughs> Toasted sub all day. And we just, we just began to dream 
Like, oh, we're pregnant. This is going to be amazing. And so like many of you, if you've been pregnant and you've gone through that, you know, you get 18 copies of what to expect when you're expecting. You know, you just get it from everyone. And so, so we have this book and every week it's telling you like, this is what's happening. This is the development of this little baby. And this is what's going on with your body. And it's really fascinating, but also really worshipful. And we went through that. And then you go, okay, now we got to figure out, okay, well, what are we going to do for delivery? How, how's that all going to work out? And so we decided we, there's a, a midwifery was really big in New England this time. It wasn't here when, what I remember it is now, but it was really big there. And everyone's like, that's how you do it. And it's like, okay, well, when in New England. And so we, we, we worked with midwives that were so, so wonderful and compassionate and understanding and, and helpful. And then I don't know if they gave us this book or if somebody else gave us this book, but we decided to use the, the birthing approach called the Bradley method or the co-coaching method. And the freak, th- this book had some freaky pictures for sure. It was from the late 60s, early 70s. And I remember, but the freakiest pictures in this thing by far were of the guys. Every guy had like, he didn't have a shirt on, he had super short shorts and like a Tom Selleck mustache. And so I was like, (laughs) all right, I guess that's what I do. So I started trying to grow my mustache. And um, and we're, you know, we're talking to you, and they coach you on everything. It's like, okay, during the labor, this is exactly what the body is doing, and this is how to be a good partner in it. And here, let's practice. I remember we like, Katie would like lay on the floor of the living room, and I'd have pillows, and like we're adjusting, like, okay, your legs go this way, and then during this, they can go this way, and trying to see how you can be comfortable. And, and then, you know, you write out your birth plan. You like say, this is how we want it to go. Like, at this stage, this is kind of the music we want, or this is what we want the room to feel like, or... And we write this plan out, and we get ready. And then the night comes upon you like, it's like a thief in the night, right? It's like all of a sudden, it's on. Labor is on. And I remember waking up, and and I had a piece of paper and a timer and a pencil because I was tracking, like, how far apart are the contractions, you know? And then eventually it's like gets to the point of like, okay, they're close enough. We need to go to the, to the, to the house, to the birthing center, which was on the grounds of, a, of Beverly Hospital. And we go in there in this room. It was like grandma's room. It's this beautiful like wrought iron bed and this quilt that was on the bed. And it was like everything that we wanted. It was everything we'd prayed about and we'd researched and we planned and we prepped. And remember part of the process was, Katie said, when the labor gets really hard, I want to make sure that you, you, you remind me of who God is, and so I want you to lean down on my ear, and I want you to quote scripture to me. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to look like a psycho. These, like, and she says, no, I really want you to. I said, what passage do you want? She says, I want you to quote the one that's like, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I was like, honey, you don't want me to quote that to you while you're giving birth. You're going to punch me. And she says, no, I won't. <laughs> and so she's in labor in a moment. I leaned down and I quote that to her. And it was beautiful until it wasn't. And there was a point at which in the delivery, after Katie had labored and labored and labored and labored, where she began to push. And, and Emma, we thought she was, she was coming. The midwife was like, get ready. Your daughter's almost born. And then she got stuck. And I remember Katie, she's pushing. Just as an aside, what a heroic moment, isn't it? If you've ever gotten to witness somebody giving birth, what a... I always joke, like, if it was guys, we'd be, like, one and done. Like, the humanity would have stopped millennium ago. It's just so heroic. Amazing. She's pushing and pushing, and Emma's stuck. And um, after a few hours of really, really heavy pushing, they were just like, we have to transfer to the hospital now. And so we go from grandma's room and the beautiful quilt and... (laughs) 
the gurney comes out and Katie gets moved and strapped into this thing and now the beautiful moment and the birthing plan kind of went to the wayside and we're pushing across a parking lot. You know, you're pushing across a hospital parking lot and Katie's covered with a sheet. And then we go up uh, some, we go on the side door, we go up an elevator, we go into this now uh, an operating room and, and it was just got really intense, really fast. All the monitors come out, they put them on Katie, they somehow get them on Emma and you're watching heart rates spike and then drop and then spike and then drop and you're watching O2 levels and I'm looking at all this stuff trying to figure out what's going on and our midwives were there so there's some comfort having familiar faces but then there's all these doctors and nurses we didn't know and, and they were attending to Katie and then over in the corner, I could see in the corner of the room, I remember standing right here by my wife and she's just, she's, she's just laboring and trying to get Emma out. I can see them all gathering and talking to each other, kind of prepping all sorts of stuff and I, I, I I remember at one moment, I just start weeping because I'm just so overwhelmed thinking I'm going to lose both my girls in one moment. And Katie looks up and she says, what's wrong? Are you okay? Is everything okay? And I'm like, oh, honey, of course, everything's great. I just, it's so beautiful. But inside, you're just like, ah. Speaking of beautiful, there was one moment where they pulled out a vacuum. Vacuum, not like a Hoover vacuum, but like a vacuum. I didn't know they had these things. This wasn't in our birthing plan, and they put it on Emma's head, and I swear the doctor put a foot on the bed and started yanking, and it came off. Not Emma's head, the vacuum, the vacuum. (laughs) Now, I don't want to be graphic. You're like, too late. Um, But there's, the blood just splattered. Everyone, like everyone, we're all just sitting there, and I'm like, this is not what we read about. And then it was like, one more push, or we're going to do an emergency C-section. we got to get him out. And so Katie pushed and pushed and pushed, and finally Emma came out. And then she's like, they took her immediately, took her over to this kind of bed area that they'd prepped, and Katie's like, you need to go be with Emma. Go, I was like, I don't want to leave you like this. No, you need to go make sure our daughter's okay. So I go over there, I quickly, I pray, and, uh, and then I turn around, and last, last scene, um, I look over, and there's a bucket underneath Katie, and someone kicked the bucket over. And there's blood everywhere. People are slipping around. I'm like, oh, the beauty and miracle of life. (laughs) I got to lay down now. That's just even retelling it. It's things did not go as planned. Not even close. It was really unexpected. And it was frankly really, really hard. You know, for many of us in this room, That's like the last two years. Really unexpected and really, really hard. Just getting hit by one thing after the next, after the next of just confusion and chaos and and anger and disappointment and just really, really hard. And if it wasn't the last couple years, I'm pretty sure it's been part of your life. And I'm pretty sure it'll be part of your life. You know, what do we do do with this when things don't go as expected, particularly when things don't go well. We're going to look at one passage. Um, It's not the only way to respond, but it's one that many Christians, in my opinion, don't apply enough, including myself. We're going to look at one response. There's lots of responses to the unexpected and the difficult, but we're going to look at one way of responding that, in my experience, is something that Christians do not take advantage of nearly enough. We're going to look at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. If you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, would you stand with me? This is God's holy, helpful, wonderful word. 
And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered, they went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Feel free to grab a seat. I don't know if you remember where you were at the first week of, of March 2020, but when COVID kind of got, got some steam, I mean, we'd heard rumblings of things, but because of what was happening down, I think it was like Life Center down in Kirkland, this, this long-term care facility, was, everything was spreading and people were beginning to die. And, I, and like you go to the grocery store and there's, you can't find toilet paper and you, you know, it's like you're stockpiling gasoline. And you know, I mean, it's just like there's this moment. And so I decided I, I'm going to do a one-off sermon. We, I think we're in the uh, Galatians. I think we're in a series on Galatians at the time. And I was like, we're going to do a one-off sermon. I'm just going to talk about anxiety. And so dipped into Philippians chapter four, and I don't do that often where we do these one-offs, but there's times where I just think that's what we're supposed to do. And I would have never believed you if you thought that would have been the last sermon I got to preach to, to real people for months and months and months. Because that following week is when all these edicts came in. Don't politicize it. That's not where we're going with this, but that we weren't gonna meet together. And I will remind you, there was a little stretch, like 10 days where everybody in the world was united because we all thought we were going to die. It's amazing how death can do that for you. But everyone was united, and, and so we, 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 you know, we shifted. We had all this strategy. We had all this momentum. We had SWATs, like as a church, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Didn't see any of it coming. Didn't see any of this coming. How disruptive it would be how destructive, how prolonged. You know, what do you do when the unexpected hits? Well, let me give you the 2020 word of the year, at least the one I heard the most. Maybe you know it. Maybe you could help me say it. It starts with a P. It ends with an IVET. We all, we pivot, right? Don't you hate that word now? Isn't that like the worst word ever in the history? Pivot, we're going to pivot. We're going to pivot over here. Pivot over here. Pivot. I had a rhyme in my head that I didn't say. Progressive sanctification. Um, but we're just going to pivot. We're going to adjust. We're going to respond. You know, th- at this time, the COVID was growing. Uh, restrictions were growing. I was part of a number of cohorts of pastors. I was like, you guys need to get ready for like 50% drop in giving. You got to figure out who you're going to lay off. You got, like, those are the conversations I'm having in those early days. And for me, when I'm faced with challenges like this, things that are unexpected, I'm kind of like, I'm going to I'm going to bust through the wall sort of guy. I'm, a, I'm going to go harder kind of guy. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to, I'm going to read. I'm going to strategize. I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm getting after it. Oh, it's a challenge. Not for me. Let's go. And so I just fought and fought. And it was like, we're going, to, we're going to adjust this online presence. And we're going to reach more people than we've ever reached. And I mean, if you go back and look at like numbers of viewers and things like that, it's true. It was like biggest services ever because everybody thought they were going to die. And so all of your friends and family members don't know, like everybody's tuning in. And it was just like, let's go. And so what I did with the unexpected is I faced it with a whole lot of fight. A whole lot of fight. A lot of us did. 
Like your fighting might have looked like getting like a, a sourdough starter and learning how to bake. <laughs> I'm going to tear it up with my cupcakes. Like, and you just got crazy, crazy about it. You, you, you set up like five home offices, right? You got, you got offices everywhere. So you can try to do your jobs and your kids are online school and you're like figuring all this stuff out. I thought about like people in our church who, who own coffee shops and restaurants or work in bars, like places where like, how do you, how do you make a living when you, can't, when you can't do the very thing that you do, like get people together in a space? And some of the creativity that came out of that, some of the labor and work that came out of that. We tried to like face all this stuff with things like Zoom happy hours. You remember those? <laughs> it's like the most unhappy hour. It's like the most awkward moments ever. He just fought. I fought. We fought. And boy, by fall of 2020, I was so tired. I was so tired of pivoting. I was so exhausted. I was so discouraged. Nothing worked. Nothing fixed it. Nothing made it right. By that point, not just COVID, but the racial tensions that, 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 that just erupted you're too woke. You're not woke enough. Well, what do you mean? I don't know, but you're not. It's like, I mean, like we all just sat in this nonsense. And then you put political unrest in there. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, it was an election season. And it felt like a perfect storm. What I did, I just kept shrugging things off. I just said, no, disappointment. No, lose-lose situation. No, it doesn't matter keep going, keep going, keep going. Kept my hand on the plow and I kept going. And then November of 2020, I wrote a resignation letter. I was wondering if you're gonna like gasp or cheer. I didn't know which one was gonna happen in that moment. I actually didn't, I, I kind of prayed a resignation letter. So in my prayer journal, my wife encouraged me to do this. I was just tired. I don't wanna be done, but I was done. I was just tired. A lot of you were. Do you know that Acts 8 is the first sermon I've ever preached to a camera? This was the first one. It's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to flip this series. We're going to go in a new direction. We're going to start here with Acts 8. And man, Anthony, part of our church, was such a gift to me. I sat there. He set the cameras up there, and we moved this up. And, and he, he, was, he was so good at what he did, but it, but it wasn't this. I mean, I remember he would sit behind the cameras. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to preach, and if I'd try to, you know, crack a lame pastor dad joke, he would sit behind the camera and go. Because <laughs> he can't make noise, right? So it's like he just has to like. Or you'd say something that was, you know, maybe you get an amen on a Sunday, and he would just go. Yeah, he'd hold it there. And oh, he, he served me and ministered to me and to all of you so well in ways that you didn't get to see. But it was all so hard. I went back and I looked at the outline that I preached a couple years ago. It was this text, and it was all this. God is sovereign. God is in charge. God knows what he's doing. God is working all things for good. Look what he does in this text. Our obstacles, you being locked down, you can't lock the gospel down. It's going forth. People are going to get saved. God's going to use it. Look what he does. The persecution that happens in Jerusalem, it's spreading people out to the region so that more people, and they're preaching the gospel and people are being healed. I go, our barriers, those are God's bridges and all sorts of cliches that are all very true. They're all true. They're all true. God is strong and sovereign. His ways are right. Nothing takes him by surprise, even when we are. Let me tell you what was completely missing in that sermon that I preached a couple years ago that I've been wanting to talk about really 
almost ever sensed. Verse two. Verse two. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Now, I don't remember, I don't think it went in the sermon at all. I didn't go back and listen to it, but it wasn't in my notes. It was a footnote and afterthought, not even on my radar screen. Their friend died. And they were sad. They made great lamentation over him. That, that phrase can mean to, to beat the breast. Just pound on your heart or to pound on the ground. Because whatever it is that you just went through is worth weeping over. I want to go back to this text for a while to re-preach it, to point this out. Um, I've been waiting for a time. I was going to do like a night of lament where he could say, hey, let's just recognize like this hurricane that just came in and tore a bunch of stuff up and just be sad together. Um, I don't know why I chose this Sunday. I just felt like it was time. Um, you know, it might've been like, as I got texts from a bunch of people in our church that they're part of faith life in town and they're going through, uh, they're laying off 10% of their workforce. And that obviously impacts a lot of people in our church, but not just the people that get laid off, but the people that are still there. I was in a company that went through like seven rounds of layoffs after the dot-com explosion and implosion. It's just sad and tough and hard. I don't know if it's because, um, like I think about this resignation letter that I wrote and how quick, or not how close I was to hitting eject, but just how tired I was. And I think about like the trauma in your marriages of being in these pressure cooker environments of being locked down and all these confusing things and the divisions of friendships over politics and mass or no mass and within family units and, and the frustrations with kids. And like, just we're all, we were like all like in this weird hard. It's like life got compressed. And maybe you're just tired. Maybe you don't have to hit it, eject. Maybe you're just hurting. You know, maybe, maybe it's okay in this church to be like, look, I'm not okay. But it's okay to not be okay. Or I'm not all right. Even though maybe I know I'll be all right at some point, but I'm not all right right now. Verse two gives us that. Verse two lets us see. I don't assume everyone here is in the same spot, um, but I want you to, I, want, I felt like it was important to take this moment and say this. Do you feel not just the permission, but the need to be sad about the losses you face in life? To take time to make a great lamentation, to beat the breast. I had three handles that I used as I was trying to process um, serving our church as, as a pastor here and serving my family as a dad and a husband as I went into to COVID, the first one was an MRI. This is like an MRI on our church. Like it doesn't, doesn't cause anything. It just gets in and shows us what's behind what we didn't see before. And, and this was good. I think this was good. I had an Evernote document and I would just populate it with ideas of things I'm learning. And I did the same thing with my family, stuff about myself and my family. Like what's it exposing? Both good and needs growth and all those things. And then I, can't, I went to stress test. This is like a stress test. Like, hey, if we can make it through this, you know, it's like you're running on the treadmill, they're pulling up the incline, you know, you get 28 minutes in, your heart didn't explode. It's like, wow, we're okay, we're still here. And that's not a small thing, church. Like, we're still here. One of the ones I went to very quickly was, it's a gift. That's where my Acts 8 sermon was. It's a gift. God is not wasting this. He does not waste anything. He doesn't. He do I believe that with everything in me. I believe it with everything in me. But here's what I didn't get to until what I would say later than I should have. It's also trauma. 
It's trauma. Some bad stuff happened and it hurts. And it's okay to not just Bible that with cliches. It's okay to just say, this hurts. You've heard this story too. I'll try to do it quick. Um, I was racing uh, my oldest son. We were upper trails at Padden. We're racing. It's a number of years ago. And as we're racing, I don't want to lose. We're going down a hill and we're kind of weaving in and out of this trail as it goes back and forth. And, and in my head, I'm like, don't do this. You're stupid. You're going to get hurt. You're a middle-aged man. He is not. He's built like a gazelle. You know, I'm just like telling myself, stop, 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 stop. And I didn't stop even though I should have. And we cut around a corner. I remember planting my, my right foot and just feeling and hearing a pop. And Owen, God bless him, came back and was like, Dad, you know, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I just, I'll get back to the car by myself. And, and so he took off and I went back to the car. We were actually hosting people that night. Um, it was the Mayweather-Conor McGregor fight. And so we had some people over at our house and I remember kind of like, kind of sort of like pseudo limping around. I had my, my Papa Murphy's pizza and I'm just like, here you go, stuffed crust. And, and just like my knee felt a little tweak, but I thought it was fine. And so I iced it, took some ibuprofen, threw a little icy hot on there and thought, I was fine. So two days later, I said, I'm fine. It's, it's just tweaked. And so I ended up going for another run. I go to Padden. I start running. And because my knee was tweaked, my, my form changed. Like everything was kind of twisted. And I, I, if I show, it kind of looked like I was pretending like I was a horse and galloping. Like it's kind of like, it, it's like I'm galloping very slowly, like a lame horse around Padden. And, you know, you get like half a mile, and I'm just like, man, this really hurts. I should stop. This is stupid. Um, but I kept going because I'm dumb. And so I kept going, and probably about a mile and a half in, I just collapsed to the ground. My calf, I don't know what happened. It's like it, it did a somersault. It like just decided to say, you won't stop. I will make you stop. Um, I didn't know at the time that I had torn my meniscus and it was inflamed and messed up. And because I, I just kept pushing through, it created years, literally years of pain, going to doctors, going to PT, trying to solve this thing. Why? Why did it get so bad? Because I chose not to listen to my pain and it made things worse. I chose not to listen to my pain and it made things worse. Some of you got pain from when you're five. And you keep drowning it out with all sorts of stuff. And it just makes things worse. Some of you made it through these last couple of years and it wasn't this crazy. For some of you, it has been traumatizing. What would they do? Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. They said, this hurts. They said, this hurts. Recognize the injury. You got to attend to the losses. It's not a lack of faith. These were pious men, devout men. They believed in the sovereignty of God. They believed in his plan. They believed in who he was and all that he would accomplish. But they didn't need to Romans 8.28 this. You know, that, that verse is a beautiful verse. Oh, I love that verse. For we know that God works all things out for good for those who love him and been called according to his purposes. But maybe in the moment, we just need to hurt. You just need to recognize the hurt and the pain. Recently, I read Jonathan Dodson. He's a buddy. actually went to Gordon-Conwell together. Um, wonderful pastor. Wrote a book called The Unwavering Pastor. Read it a few weeks ago, and the book was birthed out of the last couple of years of just feeling like after all the shots and all the difficulties and all the struggles and all the unsolvable problems that just create so much 
calamity, he finally, he needed a break. He, he was real, he was tired and spent, and he needed a break. And so when he's in this spot, there's a number of things that were very helpful that God did for him. But one of them is he went to a talk on art and faith by a guy named Makoto Fujimoro. And in this talk, Fujimoro, he's describing the work that God does in our lives and in pain and suffering. And he uses this Japanese art called kintsugi. Um, kintsugi is the Japanese art of bowl mending. So a piece of pottery gets fractured, gets broken. And these artists with just incredible skill, they'll, they'll come and they'll take all the pieces and they'll realign them. And then they, they, don't, they don't just like glue them together. Actually, what they use traditionally is liquid gold. They take powdered gold and they, they kind of get it to a liquid state and they, they trace the seams of, of the broken shards and the cracks and they reassemble it. And what Fujimuro says, he says, that's a picture of what God does for us in our brokenness and our pain. He's a master artisan. He, he takes the pieces and he reassembles them. But his point about this is the pottery actually becomes more beautiful as a result. So I think we have a picture. I don't know if it'll show up that well, but, but you can see if you, if you go look these up, they really are kintsugi. It's really beautiful. There's this veining and these gold threads that go through it that just take this, this thing that looks mangled and, and, and ready to be thrown away and it, and it resurrects it in a certain way. And this is what God does for us in suffering. But... Don't miss first tale. See, even this, we can turn into a, okay, I know it's tough, but God's going to do something. And he is. He is. I know my wife's struggling in this birth, and there's all this calamity, but, you know, there's good things coming. Like, yes, amen, all day long. But dear Christians in the room, do you miss verse 2? Do you miss verse 2? One, one of the parts of Kintsugi that can help us not miss it is this. Before the artist begins to reassemble the pieces simply takes them, puts them before him or her, just holds the broken pieces and honors them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Oh, God is going to work good out of all of it. Out of the good, out of the bad, out of the easy, out of the hard. But he just honors the brokenness. He sees it. We have passages like he takes every tear. Do you know he takes every tear and he stores them in bottles and he puts, he lines a shelf with it. He remembers, he, he knows the tossings and the turns. He knows the struggles and the frustrations. He knows the disappointments and the hurts. And he's not saying, push past verse two. Look at verse four. Look what happens. Oh, it's glorious. The gospel goes out. But do we make a great lamentation? Sierra on our staff, she's wonderful, brings so much to our church. She serves behind the scenes in such wonderful ways for you. But one of the best things that she has contributed to our church is her sweatshirts. She has the best sweatshirts. I remember walking into the, the commons next door and I saw this a number of months ago and she had the sweatshirt on that says, your brokenness is welcome here. Do you see God like that? Will Christ be wearing that sweatshirt? He's not embarrassed by it. He's not ashamed of it. He's not saying, hurry up and move on. He's saying, you know what? What you experience, that's, that's sad. That's disappointing. That's hard. That's okay. Beat the breast. Be sad about it. These were devout men. They had deep faith. Now, I'm going to just ask you this. Like, what have you lost? And what have you lost? Have you sat with those losses? Have you stepped over them? Have you downplayed them? Maybe I'd say this, maybe because of your temperament, your, who you are, like, maybe think, like, oh, I'm good. 
Have you allowed an environment around you for people to lament their losses? To sit with those broken pieces? I mean, life is full of them. It's not just the last two years. Life will be full of them. It's not just the next two years. You know, I was thinking about this. There's a, there's a huge list of this stuff. Like, did you have a baby in the last couple of years and nobody could come to the hospital? Like, I remember the first time I thought, I thought that's sad. Now, whether you think, well, the hospital should have died. Um, I don't know. That's my commentary on that. That's what I'm going to say every time someone asks me for a political commentary or policy. Watch me run, you know. Just gallop away from you. Um, <laughs> but that's sad. You know, you, you get married in the last couple years and like people have like, like different wristbands to like signal. It's like the green one, like, hey, hug me. The yellow one, like, I don't know, six feet. The red one, I'm going to be in my car. Like, literally different colors to try to, like, alert. Like, that's, you shouldn't have to. Weddings are complicated enough to have to figure that one out. You know, all the baby showers and, you know, it's like you're air-fiving each other from across the room. You know, all the times that, like, we've spent in each other's garages pretending that that was good, like, like enjoyable. I didn't get to hug my father-in-law who has Parkinson's pretty advanced for, like, a year. You know, and, and disease, it just doesn't slow down just because we're all quarantined. That's hard. You know, people in our church, like a 50-year wedding celebration, couldn't do it. All the trips canceled. You know, prom, when prom got canceled, it's the father of a senior. I was like, woohoo! And then I was like, that's actually really sad. That's sad, no prom. You know, maybe you got really sick. We had people in our church that went through cancer basically alone. Because it was just so hard to get in the hospital, you just couldn't do it. That's really sad. How about this one that probably far too many of us experienced friends? You lost some friends. Now, let's just be honest. There's a lot of people that used to be here that aren't here. There's a lot of people that you were in communion with in your living rooms, in your lives. It's just squeeze, 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 and it's like, what do you do with that? It's all painful. It's all painful. It's not just the last two years. Let's just be honest. Life has a way of kicking us upside the head. I miss verse two. And it's really all I'm preaching today. Just so you know, if you're like, wow, this is a long sermon on one verse. I just don't want us to miss verse two. Lament the losses. And when you're ready, this is an important part, when you're ready, then you can go look for the wins. I stepped right over the pain. I stepped right past it. It's my tendency to. And I look for the win. Lament the loss of when you're ready. You can start looking for the win. God in his wisdom, I love these verses. I, like I said, I'm really focused on verse two, but I want to give you a little context. By bringing these all together in one spot, God is doing in his wisdom. He is so wise, so smart, as if he needs me to say that, but he is off. The rail, smart. Um, he's both showing it's right to lament and he's showing us how to not get stuck in it. Simultaneously. He's showing us it's good to like say that hurt and the hurt doesn't have to own me forever. We can do something with it. That's the rest of these verses, right? The gospel goes forth. The, the, the gospel spreads. People are being freed and healed and cared for. People are, and there's great joy like God did that. The, that came out of the soil of persecution. That came out of the struggle. That came out of the pain. That came out of the blood of their friend who was stoned to death. And it went to great things. 
But what my wife needed when she was going through this delivery, and I mean all the stuff, the emergency transfusions, so she, was, she, was, she had bled so much, and, and, and the month of not being able to get out of bed and then having to walk her because she tore her, her previx symphysis or her pelvis like pulled apart, and it's like, and not being able to hold like her newborn. Like, you know what she didn't need from me in that moment? God's gonna do something with it. Just, here you go. It's going to be beautiful, Kintsugi, look at the ball. It's like, no, he just needed me to like hold the broken pieces. He said, I'm sorry. And that hurts. Lament the losses. And when you're ready, you you look for, for the wins. They're scattered, they're preaching the word, there's joy, all that, all that. Perhaps, um, it's hard for you. I, like, I'm, I'm in a spot, I'll just share personally, like, I'm, I'm in the spot of like celebrating the wins. I've, I've gone through a process of really like just, hey, I gotta grease some stuff. I, I gotta sit there and like, you know, get do a bubble bath, light some candles, turn some Enya on or listen to pan flute. Like I've done that and I've, you know, I haven't really done that, but, but like I, I've, I've spent time just doing that. So I'm in a spot of like, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what God is doing. I am. Maybe you're not there. Maybe it's hard for you to see the winds. Maybe everything just feels like you're in the, you're in the pit right now. Wherever you're at, you know, parents are exhausted, hospitals are still hard to visit, marriages are still struggling, our nation is increasingly divided. Here's the promise. This text alludes to it, the gospel declares it, the winds are coming. The winds are coming. The last few years didn't go as planned, they were really unexpected. For many of us, they're very difficult, very unexpected. I, in some ways, I find some, some comfort in that. For what story is more ex- unexpected than the gospel? And think how that turned out. Like, none of us would have written the story of God, who in the highest heavens can't contain, coming as a baby. Uh, none of us wrote that one. And then living life as a man of sorrows who, who knows what it's like to be misunderstood, who knows what it's like to lose friends, who knows what it's like to be hungry, who knows like what it's to have threats against him, who knows what it's like to suffer in the, the hands of, of the abuses of power, who knows all of that. And then God, not just born as a baby, but God goes to a cross and dies in the place of all those that trust in him. Not, 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 not his friends, his enemies, those that were running from him. And you got to admit, like, we know how that story turns out, but in that moment, you got to go like, oh, this looks dark. It's done. It's over. What good could come from this? And yet it gives way to a resurrection, which is this declaration and statement. It brings the reality of Christianity. It brings the reality of life experience that there are a lot of hard things and there's some suffering that happens, but in the morning, there's a resurrection. One day, the losses will come untrue. One day, the hard stuff will be gone. And all that will be left is the resurrection of Christ and the new creation that is coming. And I want you to hear that, but right now say, you know what? I'm hurting. Yeah, I'm not all right right now. And when you're ready, one day I will be. I mean, boy, we have a high priest who sat outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus who died knowing he would raise him from the dead, but still did this, wept. So bring it. Bring, bring, bring your losses, bring your hurts, bring your, discom- bring your disappointments, bring your stories that got maligned and marred and derailed over the last two years or your first five. Come to the one that says, come if you're weary, come if you're heavy. I'll give you healing. I'll hold the pieces. When you're ready, we'll mend them. 
And we'll keep our eyes fixed towards the day when I'm coming back when all the lamenting will fade and all that will be left is rejoicing. Lament your losses. And when you're ready, we can look for the wins together. I promise they're there. Let's pray. Father in heaven, our souls, they find rest in you alone. Our hope comes from you. You alone are our rock and our salvation. You are our fortress. While we might be shaken, it won't last forever. Our salvation depends on you, our mighty rock, our refuge. Grant us grace to trust in you at all times. Oh, what grace that we can pour out our hearts to you. We thank you that we can be honest about the losses, that we don't have to rush through the injury, that we don't have to ignore the trauma or the hurt, and we praise you that one day all losses will come untrue and all that will be left is the victory of King Jesus, our Savior, Redeemer, King, Friend. Oh, it is in his matchless, mending name we pray. Amen. Thank you for letting me call a bit of an audible this week. Um, We're going to respond by receiving communion together. There's really no better response every week than reminding ourselves of all that Christ has done and all that he promises to do. In this room, there's four different stations set up. There's two in the back that are both uh, individual serve community. If you're more comfortable there, there's, there's bread and juice on this side and there's bread and white on this side for those that would prefer to receive communion that way. Um, we're not rushed during this time. So you, you take whatever time you want. The band will play a little bit instrumental and then we'll, we'll sing a few songs together. Um, as you feel ready, go to this table. You, you don't need to come whole. You don't need to, to come heroic. You can come joyfully. You can come with tears. You can come with whatever you come. I just encourage you to sit in the pew before the Lord long enough to see him holding you and the things that hurt. And then go to this table and do what it says. You're declaring his death until he comes. You're declaring that the great mender is coming back. And then when you go to this table, receive these elements. The only, the only barrier here is need to go into this table. It's that I need a savior. I need a redeemer. I need uh, one to forgive me. I need one to purchase me back. I, like, I can't do it. I can't make myself right before God, but Christ can. So you don't, you don't need to do anything other than that just to come with that need. Go to the table as you feel led.